This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report. The Rugga Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. And we have a special Rugby World Cup knockout round show here. Bruce McLean is with us, fresh off uh, his amazing, fantastic victory for Iona College over West Point. If you didn't uh, notice that on social media or in Golf Rugby Report, go to GRR and check it, check out the game report. Uh, what uh, you know? First of all, congratulations on that, Bruce. And we also have Eamon Hogan, who is rugby coach, rugby writer, uh, has written a, a column that uh, with me back when I worked somewhere else. I don't even remember where it was. Eamon's been in the USA many times. A lot of you listening will be familiar with his work, and he's also coached with the Leicester Tigers. So first of all, Eamon, welcome to the show. Hello, Alex. Hello, Bruce. It's an absolute honor and a privilege. Um, it's, I think, as the American saying goes, long-time listener, first-time caller. There Thank you, you very much. That's perfect. <laughs> and and uh, what's, what's the uh, – I'm sure the United Kingdom, British Isles, are awash with news about Iona beating West Point. Well uh, – <laughs> <laughs> If I can can say this, I know about it, and my wife knows about it, and my kids know about it, um, because they know Bruce, and I've heard of Bruce before, so they're thrilled about it. Um, Probably more people know about it now, but yeah, I was impressed, I have to say. Well done, Bruce. I definitely think that uh, there's been a lot of nice congratulations from all parts of it. it uh, It was a great day, and we had a we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of luck involved in it, and but they played really well, and it was fun, and it was great. And you're really good when you can back it up. So we'll see. We play Penn State, and if we can't back it up, then it was a one-trick pony. That all said, I as far as the British press goes, it was really funny. Eamon had made a post on Facebook. Not it wasn't. It was I think 12 hours after England lost to or England lost to Australia and was at a pool play. Or lost to Wales, whatever one put him out, and he was like, "The English media has stopped covering the World Cup." <laughs> you would think that it just ended that day. So I don't. I just think they stopped covering rugby in general. So they they didn't get to the Iona West Point game because England screwed that whole thing up. That's true. We'll 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 blame the uh, short sighted English media. Uh, you know the the. The World Cup, we're going to talk the World Cup on general stuff. It'll be fun. Um, I've been lucky enough to go to uh, three of them. I didn't go to this one because somebody has to pay for me to go and nobody offered, um, uh, which is kind of funny because I grew up in England. So I'd actually know my way around rather than fumbling around France or uh, you know blowing out a tire on some back road in New Zealand, which did happen. Um, but you know, it, it looks like it was as an event. Uh, on a rugby level, as an event in terms of attendance and how it was organized and promoted, it looks like it was really great. And Eamon, uh, what what is it like, sort of being in the middle of it? It's um, well, it's a sharp intake of breath. When it was first announced that it was coming to England, it was um, it was debated whether we it would be successful. Not because um, there aren't enough rugby fans here; there's loads, but just about where it would be played, where the games would be held, could we get the whole country involved in it? And I think those those things went away as soon as the Olympic Games were on because that was the template that the RFU used 
and World Rugby used to generate interest in the World Cup. What happened then was the RFU, uh, sorry, World Rugby hired the head of the Olympic Games program to come across and work with the with the Rugby Football Union and World Rugby in developing the games. Um, the big sharp intake of breath really came about a year ago when it was released that the British government had created a bond for £85 million that they had to pay for the tournament. Now, I, I only mention that because I know that USA Rugby are holding the World Sevens in two or three years' time. I, don't get me wrong. I don't think USA Rugby had to put up £85 million. But I think... No. I think it's... No, no. But I think if they want to hold a World Cup in the future, there has to be uh, um, that in the back of their minds, that they have to guarantee World Rugby a set amount of money. For England, it was £85 million. So to put that into context with that amount of money, as we get to the games... The ver- every time there was a sellout game at Twickenham, so the Australia get Australia Wales England Wales today's games, there was a minimum minimum of twenty million pounds made on ticket sales and hospitality. So that money is coming into the game. Now, of course, there's overheads and you have to pay this and pay that. So it's financially doing very well. But that was generated by a wonderful marketing program by by the Rugby Football Union in conjunction with World Rugby, where they did a whole host of things like a year out from the World Cup, they got the England winning World Cup team. They would have events, a countdown of events, like 100 days to go, 50 days to go, and they would all be on TV. They would have Johnny Wilkinson and not famous English players, and then they would get foreign famous overseas players who'd won the World Cup that now live here, like Michael Liner and Sean Fitzpatrick. And the whole thing was built up and people got really, really excited outside of rugby. But the other thing the RFU did very well, and, and credit to them for this, they, they really bought into the value of rugby and the value it has in society for, for, the, youth, for the youth of our country. And, and as a Welshman, that hurts because obviously me saying the RFU doing something right hurts. But <laughs> the RFU have been fantastic and they deserve a massive credit here. They invested significant amounts of money in making sure that every clubhouse in England had um, some sort of banner, bunting, wristbands, whatever, that would allow children and, and young, children, young children especially, uh, something sort of like role models to try and say, this is a great game. And then the parents would buy into that. And it's worked. That side of it has been magnificent. And the games themselves... You know, we can come on to the games in a bit, but fantastic, fantastic games. And, and obviously the J- Japan-South Africa game has been the one that's caught the headlines. But I think, you know, the, the, the crowds that have been there, and they're, they're predominantly English people. Um, I've, I went to one game, and I suppose we could talk about that later, but I went to one game in particular. And I was sat next to people from four different countries. And yet the rest of the crowd, you know, there were people hugging each other and saying, look, congratulations on your performance, where you come from, this, that and the other. And it was all generated by the generosity of the English people. And I think everybody likes to beat up on the English. And, and, I, and I'm being Welsh, I'm front of the queue. But um, as a Welshman living in England, I think the RFU should be very, very proud. And I think the England organisation should be very proud because it's them and the English people who've put on a fantastic World Cup and it's a shame they went out um, because they it could have been fantastic but as you can see no one handed in their tickets the tickets are still people are still going to the games and it's um, it's been a, it's been an absolute joy to be in a country when a World Cup is on Alex it's fantastic the uh, the 
A couple of things on that. Number one would be, um, makes me think of 1999. Wales was the uh, host country, uh, but it was the games were spread out all over the place. So the United States actually played their games in Ireland. Uh, the criticism there was there was still some kind of um, amateur era, um, old school British Isles reserve when it came to marketing. Yes. Uh, along with a couple of other things, like they, they really only played the games on the weekends. There was usually like there would be four or five, sometimes six days where there was no game, so there was no momentum. Yeah. Um, and 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 people didn't go. There wasn't. There just seemed to be sort of an embarrassment about actually asking people to show up, um, which they've they've gotten past, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but listen, it, it, from 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 here, uh, the '99 World Cup was was interesting in that. I remember there's a very, very good book about, and I can't remember the lady's name, and I wish I could remember it, but it's a great book about the history of each of the World Cups up to Australia. And they were still building the stadium. And in the press conference before the the very first opening game of the 99 World Cup, there were workmen outside still building the the car parking facilities underneath the ground. It was it was incredible. And they said, how 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 are the Welsh going to do this? This is incredible. And as you say, it was spread around the country, and the, the Welsh. The only way Wales could get the World Cup was to just to promise games to France, to England, and to Scotland. Um, but the IRB, or World Rugby, as they are now, they they turned around and said, "Right, enough of that. Now we want one country hosting." So in that respect, they have marketing. Yes, they've learned an awful lot. I think they've learned an awful, an awful lot from America. I think the NFL's successes in generating games over here in London. You know, I think World Rugby's been paying attention. They've hired professional people. Um, and the marketing of the game over here now is is very, very good. As you can see from premiership attendances going up and the, the success of the Pro 12. So, yeah. Yeah, they've learned a lot of lessons in the past. Excellent. And the other thing that made me think about it was the, um, you know, Australia. Australia is not, maybe it is now, but for most of its sporting history, it's not been considered a rugby union first country. Rugby yeah. league. Aussie rules in certain parts. You had to you had to educate people about the the sport, and I think that um, we as Americans, American rugby fans, think, well, you know, England is the cradle of rugby, but there are millions of people who don't follow it at all. They follow they might follow a little bit of league. They follow football, soccer. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and they're trying to get you trying to get those people to go see these rugby games. I tell you what was great, you know, listening to press reports um, from from the various games. I mean, for example, there was games held in Newcastle, which is a predominantly soccer town, mm-hmm. Leeds, which is where uh, USA played Scotland, and various other places around England. It, it was amazing how football fans would come on Twitter or come on the news and say it was magical having rugby people in their city because they didn't realize what normal was. Until they got rid of the football, the football fans. Once the football <laughs> fans had left, they said, "How can South Africans and Scottish people, or you know, how can they all sit in the same room and not have a fight? Or how can they?" There, there wasn't that massive police presence. Um, I think the only police I saw was a pipe, a, a police pipe band, and that was the only police I saw in the entire tournament. That was, um, and uh, that was, can I just? I'm sorry to interrupt, Eamon, yeah. you, but uh, uh, go back to 2007. I went to see the USA versus England, uh, uh, taking the train uh, out of Lille um, to to Lens to uh, to go see the game, and uh, riding the train back with all these English fans, most of them sort of half in the bag. We're having a great time, and we come out to the train station 
in Lille, and there are, I, I don't know, 200 police officers, 200 police in riot gear waiting for us <laughs> because, because they're expecting, you know, it's, it's a soccer town. They're expecting a soccer reaction. And we're all getting out. We're all laughing. The guy next to me goes over and starts shaking the hands of the police officers. It's like, thanks. Thanks. Great that you're here. Yeah. Bye. We're going to go get drunk now. <laughs> it just, they, had, they were completely shocked because rugby people don't do that. You know, they you know, don't, was, they don't was, behave sorry, the way they were expecting. No, it was, it was great because I, I was in Leeds for the Scotland-USA game. And I was walking around the, the city centre. And it was just magical, magical to see all the Americans and the Scots hanging around each other, um, just talking about rugby in their countries um, and, and just trying to, to get a feel of what was going to happen in a couple of hours' time. And it was, you know, I'm, I'm, the rugby public over here are very aware of certain American players. So let's make no bones about it. I mean, Manoa, Chris Wiles, you know, they're, they're, they're superstars over here. They really are really, really famous. Scott Lavala, very well known in France. Um, uh, Cam Dolan and Blaine Scully, I think, will become quite the celebrity once they arrive in Cardiff, which is my hometown. So I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that growth happens. But it's it, these, they, when I went to these football towns, it was lovely to see the, the people in and around Leeds just really happy to have the rugby people there. And it was, and it was lovely. The, the, I can't tell you how, how pleasant it is to have the press just singing the praise of rugby all of the time. And it, it's, it's, it's just magical. It really is. I've actually, on this topic, been to World Cups too. And, and I think that the fans are fantastic. The, the one thing about rugby that's beautiful is that the fans are great and while results matter, and they certainly do matter, most of what we love about rugby is the actual, like, the Barbarians all-blacks game. It, the try that Gareth Edwards scored probably would have gone to the TMO these days and yes. ruined history. It would have been, <laughs> been a forward pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, but still, you had a magical try, and, and, you, and people still talk about Mark Ella and how wonderful he was, and he played... 25 tests for Australia, and I think Australia won 12 or 13 of them. It, he was either 12 and 13 or 13 and 12, and but it included a Grand Slam in 1984. And I think that that's the beauty of rugby, that the South African team losing to Japan. and But rugby embraces that. It doesn't get angry at it. And that's the difference between rugby and other sports, and I think that's the thing that, nobody really gets and it, it's almost difficult to describe it but that's why it's great is that the spectacle is more important than the result we want a good game yeah, we want a spectacle. Yeah. We want something we just everything ha the spectacle is it, we understand the entertainment value even though the result is is important and the camaraderie and the spectacle take a higher precedence than the result, even at the highest level of the game. And when it doesn't, nobody goes. And, and, and you do see that. If, if, if the result is more important than the spectacle and the camaraderie, the stands are empty. That's and that's, I, I would say that, you know, one of the, one of the, I call it the weekend that saved rugby was the, the final weekend of the, of the Six Nations this year. The weekend that saved rugby. 
when everybody was having a really dour thought on it, the first game and on the on the Saturday, I think Wales caught in and played expansive rugby and bam, opened it up. Now it's point diffs and everybody opened it up. And it was just an unbelievable weekend. And now I think we're seeing that like the World Cup, like seeing Argentina against New Zealand and, and their first match was 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 crazy. I mean the All Blacks would have, the Argentine the Argentine team would have beaten any team in the world that day. But the All Blacks maintained their composure and won. And you saw South Africa lost to Japan. And nobody saw that coming. I don't the Japs didn't see that coming. You know, they, no way they saw it. They might have, you know, thought that if this happens and this star aligns with this star, maybe this works. I mean, nobody saw that coming, including them, no matter what they say. And so it, that's the thing that makes it amazing. Georgia won two games. It, there was a lot of great stuff in this World Cup. And there's – and the English have been fantastic hosts. And from the Olympics and from they, – they've proven – to be fantastic hosts. In 1991, the UK were fantastic hosts. They, they, they know how to do this well. And rugby people, all World Cups have been different and all World Cups have been outstanding because rugby people in general are outstanding. And we see it for more than it is. And sometimes you speak to some of the USA players or things and they get down on themselves like, Take it, but get out of the realm of the bunker that you're in and that whole experience. Like, this was amazing. Look at all those smiling faces on Facebook and and all the smiling faces in articles and, and little videos and things. That's, that's what rugby's all about. That's what people are going to remember. They're going to remember the South African fans allowing the Japanese fans their day. They're going to remember that. In other sports, the South African fans would have beat the hell out of the Japanese fans, and or you know, thrown things onto the field. You know, put it on the yeah. Instead, Correct. everybody clapped and said, "Hey, I saw some. I saw history today." Yeah, that's yeah. the beauty of our game. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming you see that too, Eamon? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's when we had a, I had a young lad stay with me from Cleveland a couple of months ago, and he was here when the warm-up games were on. And we went and watched a game at my local rugby club, and, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of um, polite abuse going back and forth. But when the final whistle goes in the club, when you're watching a game on TV, uh, you stand up and you shake the hands with the people in the room. It's as if we've played the game. And it's, and I think I think that's something that he took back with him. Went, wow, they they're very passionate, they're very driven and very motivated and and very boisterous. But when the whistle goes, and it's it's a genuine thing. Everybody stands up and walks across the room to the person who was giving abuse to them, shakes their hand and say, "Well done, great game. What 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 can you have to drink?" And it, that that's true of every game. And it, and Bruce is right, absolutely. And and I wanna I wanna say something that Eamon wrote an article on his Clover League rugby blog. And he'll explain what Clover League means. I never knew what the hell that meant until very recently when I did a podcast with him. But uh, he wrote an article about just that during the pool stages, probably a game or two into the World Cup. 
about that camaraderie of rugby and about what the World Cup was. And it was a, it was a great article. And I, I would suggest that all aspiring players and, and the current Eagles, I would suggest that, that they read it. And then they would understand how much we love them. Speaking of the Eagles, and we've talked about them quite a lot, quite seriously last time. Uh, Eamon, you, you went to uh, a USA game. Yes. You, uh, you went to the Scotland game? I was, and what a fantastic day that was. What an absolutely fantastic day. Um, it was interesting because I went to the hotel before the game to meet some of the players that I'm, I was very fortunate over the last 10 years that I've, I, I would not suggest for a moment that I coached them. I think I did a session when they were present, right? Right. Because um, I think any coach who takes credit for a player's success, um, they helped on their journey. I, that's my view on life generally. Um, but I think I helped. I, I've, I've, I've met along their journey, Zach Fanolio, Cameron Dolan, Zach Test. Zach Test stayed in my house when he was a student at Loughborough. Um, Brett Thompson and so on. And they've all been... You know, I've watched their growth as players and, and, and thanks. that's one of the joys of social media is that you watch these young men grow into, into heroes in front of you. And you remember when they were asking you questions and tugging on your shirt and saying, excuse me, coach, how do I do this? How do I do that? And if I helped in any way, shape or form with their success, I'd be very proud. But I don't think I did. But anyway, so um, I went to the hotel beforehand, met a few of the players, went to the game. The game... <sighs> the one thing television doesn't show you is the whole field. And I think if they, if the American public was able to see the whole field, especially the rugby playing public, they would realize how difficult it was for Scotland to score in that first half. They absolutely tore Scotland's backline to shreds. They, the Scotland backline could not go anywhere, do anything. Um, McGinty, Palamo, Kelly, and Nguenya on one wing, and I think it was Zach. Oh, Zach on the other. I could be wrong there, but those those five players, especially, um, what you couldn't see on television because obviously the television follows the ball, is how quick they were off the line, how much they closed Scotland down, and it was in the second half. I think Scotland realised that they were going to do nothing through their backs. That was it. The, the game plan had changed. And and that's where Scotland brought the power game, very similar to South Africa against Wales yesterday, where they just said, we're not going to move the ball. We're going to wait and we're going to wait until the USA commit a, a breakdown penalty. We're going to go to the lineup, then we're going to drive it. We're going to wait for USA to give away a penalty, then we're going to take a shot at goal. Now, obviously, I know Scotland scored two tries, one straight after the break and one um, midway through the second half. But as a performance in the first half, and I appreciate rugby games don't finish after 40 minutes. That's something that if the, if, if the USA coaching team has, has, a, has that video, I think they should bring it home and allow uh, as much as possible without revealing tactics or anything else and show it to the American rugby playing public about what they did and how they did it. Now, obviously, there's a, I understand from social media and from reading in the press, there's controversy over this, that, and the other. And that is not for me to comment because I don't know what's happening in American rugby. Um, but I do believe on that particular performance, there were things happening there that gives me great faith in the future of American rugby. Now, whether you keep the coach, change the coach, change the coaching team, do this, do that. All I can base it on is what I saw with myself. And I think credit should go to the coaching team as a whole because Scotland 
and you saw how Scotland played today. USA really went after them and really looked very, very good. And and the thing I I always hark back to is is player development, coach development, lower down the game, uh, even here in England. And I know from my history that you can't do anything unless you build it down down the game. You can't just go in at the top and just make them better. It's a long process, takes many, many years. But I think what's what they did in that game and a lot of the things they did, I wish you could get a hold of the whole game, as in the whole field, because I think you may have a different view of what was happening. Um, that's not to say the rest of the games, everybody could have their comments, but on that particular game, on that particular afternoon, the USA team did many, many good things, especially in that first half. Second half, then obviously silly penalties, kicks to the corner, and Scotland won the game. But yeah, but that that was a great game. Um, lovely to meet. I met Salty Thompson there. I met Andy Byrne, who's been the high school All-American uh, team manager for a while now. Um, Mike Tolkien. I met Dave Williams. I met these people, and I and they couldn't have been nicer, more gracious, um, friendly, and everybody who wanted a moment with them, they spent time with them. Family and friends coming in, saying hello. What more do you want of American players when they go overseas? I, 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 they, they do their best. They work to their ability. I understand that they're a tier two nation. I think we have at times, and I, I, I speak for, as, a, as a British person, a Welshman in particular, but looking at Georgia and Namibia, and we have massively high expectations of them. And then we realize afterwards, hang on a second, what have they got behind that? What, what support structures have they got behind that? And you look and see, it's remarkable they're here in the first place. It's absolutely remarkable. And it's, it's it, people like USA have been very successful here. They've made a great impression here. Namibia, Georgia, the Japanese, as you mentioned. Um, I think these players, you know, regardless of how you feel about their athletic performance or their skills, I think as people, I find it very difficult to believe that rugby has been misrepresented. American rugby has been misrepresented by these players. They are great, great people to a man. And and it's not blowing smoke up you know where. They were a credit to their country. And, and the things I saw on that day gave me a huge amount of pleasure to watch. And it was, I, I was thrilled, thrilled with it. Absolutely thrilled with it, Alex. Excellent. Well, you know, we, we can, we get caught up in, uh, I, I've spent the last couple of weeks getting caught up in the sort of the tactical side and Various, you know, the, the those different sides, but really, um, it's good to remember, you know, how they represent us, uh, and also those those positive moments. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, those they, they, I mean, not, not just a positive moment at this point. I mean, we we hung our hats on Takun Gwenya scoring a great try eight years ago. Um, now we're we're hanging our hats on forty minutes, you know, when everybody is showing their best. So I guess. It was that. interesting. I mean, you, you talk about Nguyen's try against Tabana eight years ago. Um, believe it or not, every time USA played, they showed that clip. <laughs> it's, it's still being talked about on British television. They still remember it. Um, they also remember Oz's try against England. I know Oz. I've coached yeah. with Oz. Chris Oz and Tuski, yeah. I, I, A great guy. And I, 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 I spoke to him about the try, and he, he's very reluctant to talk about it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know why. It's a great try. <laughs> That's funny, but uh, you know that, that's, you know, it's funny. 
I, when I was growing up, I wasn't really conscious of uh, you know U.S. rugby and 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 the U.S. national team toured uh, England in 1977 and played a uh, an England 15. They didn't play England um, stuff like that. But what I remember most was uh, they scored a try against the England 15. And at the end of rugby special on BBC, they started to play the uh, the American national anthem. And while they played that, they showed the build-up to that try. And on the final home of the Brave was the, the ball going over the scrum half, going touching it down, um, which I thought was really was a really nice way to recognize that. Um, it was kind of nice to be proud of the U.S. national team because I didn't know that I could do that when I was uh, 10 years old. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's people want the United States to do well, I guess. Yeah, of course. No, it's it's I understand that I do. And I understand, you know, the the venom sometimes expressed after losses and, you know, the anger against the infrastructure and against this and against that. And I, I do. I understand it. I, I I'm fully aware of what goes on in America and how it's put together. It is not for a British person to comment on it. Um, but I will say that when they come over here and I've I've been very honored to have a number of Americans stay at my house. Whenever uh, my my local rugby club has always been open to American players, I'm trying to organise a rugby tour for a college to come over here, and if that comes off, they'll be treated like gods, yeah. and as they should be, because they're just rugby players. That's great. The uh, the wing the winger you uh, missed in that game Scotland was Blaine Scully, by the way. Uh, of, course, of course it was. Um, course it was. The uh, was there anyone you saw? Uh, maybe somebody you weren't familiar with who made you sit up and say, "Ah, oh, you know, if we could get that guy in a full train, full time training environment, if he could come over to the UK for a couple of years, um, or maybe maybe he's already in the UK. You just think he has potential." It's interesting. I, I didn't. I, I don't know enough about American players. I, mm. I was very impressed with with Seamus Kelly. That was the first time I'd seen him live. Um, I appreciate. You know, he's not a full-time, or is he a full-time professional? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think he is now. But he he was impressive. I, I liked I liked what he did on that day. Um, I think Cam Dolan had a, had a tough time at Northampton because the English game, and, and that's a big debating point, is not really suited to guys of his skill set. Um, in, in the Pro 12, I think he will be a little bit more successful um, because the game is played differently because the physical size of the athletes in the pro 12 are very different to the physical size of the ones in the premiership and in the top 14. Mm. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Cam play in the pro 12. Blaine was, they were very impressed by Blaine at Tigers. And I do know that. Um, and he had a good run and a lot of people commented to me that, do you know Blaine? Do you know? I, I don't, I don't know Blaine at all. It was like, I know every American player. It's like an Irish guy going to America <laughs> saying, do you, do you know Paddy? You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, and so every American that comes over here, they always assume that I know them. But, um, but I, I, these players, they do make an impression. They, they do work very, very hard. And I, was, I think there was a lot of people did come back to me and say they were very sorry to see Blaine go um, because he did fill in very, very well at Tigers. On the wing, um, on one very strange occasion, he had to play um, centre at one point for a yellow card or something and he had to mm-hmm. move in one and again not a problem very adaptable very committed high fitness level um and i don't know whether the cardiff move was his instigation or just that he wasn't getting enough game time but i'm looking forward to seeing cam and blaine in cardiff well cardiff is my hometown so i would say that 
Well, it'd be great to to continue to find out um, how they're doing. I mean, there's, you know, what we end up doing is just sort of saying something like, uh, you know, if if, it, if we don't get to see it on TV or something, um, well, he he came off the bench for ten minutes, or you know, he he started, did he score, something like that. But but there's so much more to it than that. So. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to watch Brett play against South Africa. I thought Brett Thompson played very well against South Africa. Mm-hmm. I thought Zach's, the, the, his 10-second cameo, where he made three tackles in 10 seconds against Japan, <laughs> that, went, that went viral. I cannot tell you how many people who live near me who know Zach texted me and Facebook messaged me saying, did you see that? Did you yeah. see that? And, and what a cameo. And it's, it, it, America, American rugby at this World Cup has been moments. Um, and I think that's probably where the problem lies. There wasn't enough of those moments to satisfy the baying crowd. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, it's American deal with American problems. You know, it's not for me to say. Right. All right. I'm actually excited for that too, because if you watch the premiership versus watching the pro 12, then there's certain teams in the premiership to play rugby, but the pro 12 is a far more entertaining product than the premiership it's not even close the, the 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 thing is bruce with the pro 12 is that again you don't they can't rely on physical size they also have the vast majority of the teams well nearly all of the teams in the in the competition are contracted by their unions so if they're contracted by the unions they can only play a certain amount of games per year therefore the second strings have to be as good as the starters so consequently if leinster are playing Munster a week before an Ireland test, which they wouldn't be, but if they were, they would pull all the Irish players out of those two teams. And how are they going to get 12,000 people to come and watch their game with all the Ireland internationals not there? So they have to produce a second string of player that are as good as the, pro, as the first team. That was not the case when in the premiership when they pull all the internationals and they run something called the LV, which is a great training ground for academy players. And they do have... St- some good crowds, but generally speaking, until you get to the, the semifinals and the final, the crowds just never really got into it. Um, and, and, but the, the premiership is it's a different animal. Um, promotion and relegation, same in the top 14. There is no promotion and relegation in the, uh, um, in the Pro 12, but the, the, what they've done now is they've said you've got to finish in the top seven to get into Europe. And playing in, in the Champions Cup. So that's made a little bit of an edge. But overall, yeah, they're different animals just based on the way they're designed. That's all. USA aside, uh, there, there were some other teams that had some interesting performances. I guess uh, there you are in the middle. We, we talked about it. England, uh, you know, the English press stopped reporting on the World Cup after England bows out. Um I, I talked briefly with Nigel Melville. I asked him if he if the world was ending um, in English rugby, and he said uh, no. He, he thought you know everybody knew it was going to be a tough pool, but I don't know. I mean, it's 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 pretty it's pretty tough to host your own tournament, having won a World Cup, never bit never missed the quarterfinals. I think that's correct, and then suddenly bow out in your own. Your, your own World Cup when everything seems to be set forth for you to do something big? Absolutely. Well, the reason why the pool of death scenario came about was Wales' performances a few years ago 
put them at eighth or ninth. I think it was ninth in the world. So when the pool draw was made, they pulled out the top eight into four pools. And then, of course, number nine was, was Wales. So Wales went into Pool A, and that was all it was. I think I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that's I'm recalling that. It was three years ago. Um, the the Pool of Death scenario was unfortunate. However, you have to win to get ahead. I think England, you know, it's it's been England's rugby's been raked over the coals a lot by the press over here, and you know anything I say now would be just nonsense really because it's just the whole thing is not they've everybody's moved on from it the 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 sad thing for me was there are when they chose the squad originally the biggest talking point was sam burgess now that's not to say that 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 shouldn't have been the talking point what i think the talking point should have been was why are we picking a guy who can't get into the bath first team in his preferred position at back row and he, and yet England want to play him at centre, and that, that's not that's that's nothing against Sam Burgess, and I think that was the biggest debate of all, and and I think that that was the cause of much friction between England fans and everybody else. I mean, I I made that comment on social media, and a number of high-profile professional people in England here tore into me, said, "You don't understand. He's a great influence on the team." But absolutely. I have no question at all. They know better than me. The problem is, it was the thinking behind that. Now, if Chris Robshaw had kicked to the corner, England had won that line out and scored the try, they would have been playing today. Because Wales wouldn't have recovered. Wales went out and won the game. Um, I nearly had a heart attack when they won. But ultimately, I think, when England went out, I think what hurt more was... And I, and I say this with due reverence, because I am a rugby fan. It, it genuinely hurt me that England went out. Not because, not because I have any sort of English, you know, English feeling or English happiness. I think the reason it saddened me was I turned up the following day when they lost to Australia on the Saturday. I, I went to my local rugby club and we had 300 young girls and boys playing rugby that, that particular day. And there wasn't one England shirt being worn by any kid at that club. And considering the week before that you couldn't walk for England shirts, I think that's the thing that hurts the most um, from my point of view as a rugby fan. Performance-wise, uh, it, it's been tore over the press, but that's the reality of, of the host nation going out of a World Cup. It deflates the whole atmosphere of the English public. That being said... Referring to what I said, something I said earlier, Alex, the English people have continued to go to the games. They've continued to support the program. They've continued to support any team that plays in any competition, in any ground. And even the Leicester people who wanted the tournament games to be played at Welford Road, the home of Leicester Tigers, the Leicester people did go to the, to the soccer stadium to watch it there, much to their chagrin, but they did go. And... I think regardless of, you know, and it's, it's a lesson to be learned here from the USA Sevens program when they, host the, when they host the tournament in San Francisco, is that my, my, I would implore people that when that World Cup is on, that if those two stadiums sell out, I believe it's held in two stadiums in the Bay Area. Correct, yeah. If, if those two stadiums, if we can push to have those stadiums full 
on both of the days or as close to being full. That's the marketing strategy of USA Rugby, or I don't know if it's RAM takes over this particular responsibility, but and World Rugby help and promote the tournament in San Francisco. And I don't think American rugby people need to be convinced to go to a World Cup in their country. Um, but I think if they can sell it out, regardless of how Team USA do, they will do very well. I mean, obviously, they're doing very well now. But I think if it, that's the lesson. And I think this is where England going out, there was, a, there was a, a sincere belief that the whole air would just be sucked out of the tournament. And it hasn't been the case. You know, it's been a, it's a unique event. It's been fantastic. It's been very sad for England, really good for Wales in regards to how, considering it's the Wales second team playing in these games. Um, but we, um, I can't tell you. It was, like, it was dreadful getting up in the morning and looking at my Facebook going, oh, my God, another player's down. Um, and then you see players limping off in the middle of a game. But I think that's the thing that USA Rugby can take from this as an organization. World Rugby, when they're hosting the event in San Francisco, is that the American people need to get behind that tournament. If your Team USA are doing well, fabulous. If they're not doing so well, then they need to stick around. They need to support the tournament. Because if you're going to be a power, this is a showcase for American rugby. The Las Vegas Sevens is fantastic. The trouble is it's, it's shown very late on a Sunday night here. Um, and we don't get to see an awful lot of it. It hasn't got huge viewing figures. But if they can get behind it, it's a World Cup. And I know that the American public will support it because they supported the Australia and New Zealand tests. It's so important for the future of American rugby that this event goes well. And with England going out, I think that's the lesson, that the host nation going out is poor. Um, their style of play lacked the inspiration required to generate a, a huge buzz about the tournament. But the people still went. They committed to it and they stuck with it. And so it, it's, it's heartbreaking for me as a rugby fan. Although, as a Welshman, I was kind of happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I'm not sure people can quite understand it sometimes if you haven't been there in the middle of it. I mean, there's such uh, small countries compared to uh, various states in the United States. But um, I, guess, I guess if you know that uh, Alabama versus Auburn football is life and death, you know that England versus Wales is life and death. So. I guess it yes. does translate. Um, quarterfinals. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on a project, a little fun thing, uh, just picking the best games of each World Cup that I'm just going to write something, the best knockout games and the, the, the best pool games. And often some of, some of the most entertaining games in each World Cup are the quarterfinals um, because it's you know once you get that relief of we've made it to the quarterfinals suddenly you realize if we win we're in the semifinals we've got at least you know we've got two more games no matter what um, there's so much hanging on it uh, we we saw them we saw uh, New Zealand just uh, destroy France um, we saw uh, two nail biting games with uh, Australia and Wales, and then of course, oh, excuse me, not Australia, but South Africa and Wales, and then Australia and Scotland, and then we saw, um, in the end, I guess Argentina run away with it. Um, what What's your view of of the games that you saw? Um, um, the South Africa Wales game, um, it, the better team won. Uh, I mean, I make I make no bones about it. Wales had. No cutting edge at fullback. The wingers 
were were sort of second choice wingers. Um, apart from George, no, sorry. Um, Liam Williams went. Lee Halfpenny went. Um, essentially, apart from Jamie Roberts and George North, the entire Welsh backline were bench players. And so to perform to that standard within a squad and to have such good defensive reads on where the South African attackers were going to attack is a massive credit to them. Even when South Africa did the power plays and they really kept it tight, Sam Warburton, Dan Lydiot, and and Toby and uh, Tolupe Falatau, those three back row players, you, you watching them work is 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 an art. You know, it's it's an absolute masterclass in back row play, and and when they came up against Australia, similar sort of thing. But against South Africa, it was it was one poor defensive read by Alex Cuthbert, the wing, on Dwayne Vermeulen that cost Wales the game, and that's to South Africa's credit that the one chance they got, they took it. The the whole process of that game hinged on that one thing. But I think there's there's a theme running through all of the games, and I'll come to that at the end, if you like. Um, France, New Zealand. Ooh, France, New Zealand. Um, before people get carried away and thinking that New Zealand were are all singing, all dancing, and fantastic and everything else, which they were very, very good. Let's remember, six months ago, England put 55 points on these guys. And it was almost a very, very similar team. Um and so the All Blacks, essentially the French defence was run at us and let's see what you can do. <laughs> yeah, that was a good idea. That worked really well for them. <laughs> it's just, for instance, there's something simple. Like um, if, if, if Sonny Bill Williams run, runs between two players and gets his arms through, he's going to offload. So the player to the left and the right in that defensive line have to close that space so the offload cannot occur. That just didn't happen. Now, you can say what you like about the All Blacks flooding channels and making offloads. They are brilliant, and, and I take my hat off to them. They were fantastic. But if you don't fill holes like you're supposed to do in defensive reads, they just completely gave the game to, this, gave the game to them. The, where the All Blacks were brilliant was, was at the breakdown and their intensity there. And that's replicated across all four Southern Hemisphere teams. But... It, it, the French made it so easy for them. And I think, you know, that Richie McCaw dodging this in bin yet again probably cost Nigel Owens the final. Now, I, that's, a, that's a big statement because I think Nigel Owens is, I believe, he's the world's best referee. But Richie McCaw's, before he got, it wasn't a punch, but, you know, it was the fist to the face thing that the, that Picamol got yellow carded for. Um McCaw did three, three yellow card offences in 10 seconds and Nigel Owens didn't send him off. What more do you need to know? <laughs> you know, it's brilliant. And it's, it's interesting yeah. that Serene McGeekin today, so I, I don't know what, I know you got the game covered. Do you have British commentary or Southern Hemisphere no, we, commentary? We, we get, uh, I guess it's a world feed, so there's, there's a variety of commentators. Oh, okay. Some of them some of the um, UK, some of them not Southern Hemisphere. So. The, 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 the Scottish coach, Serene McGeekin, uh, made a comment today about a Scottish yellow card in their quarterfinal and said, if that was New Zealand, would that be a yellow card? And for him and his esteemed knowledge, no, nobody in the studio disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. And that's where New Zealand have earned the right. To, to, you know, they play so well that no one believes they, they do something cynical. 
<laughs> but they do. It's <laughs> they you know do. it it you know I it's something I, I, that's been frustrating me in terms of covering the United States team. There there are little things that happen, um, and and you you see it. You see you see an American player knock the ball on, and he's yellow carded for an intentional knock on, where it wouldn't even be a penalty for another team. And and I. And and you ask, if you talk to the referees, I'm sure they wouldn't say, "Well, I'm, no, I'm." Well, you think that I'm changing calls based on who's playing? So, well, I think I think what you're doing is you've already decided who's in charge of the game, who's in control of themselves, and who's not, and then you re- interpret actions based on that. I remember I remember a few years back when Italy played the USA in Houston. I stayed up. God knows what, God knows whatever time I stayed up watching that game. Um, but I watched that game because, and obviously, some of the players I knew and. And, I, and, and there was a series of penalties in that game where the Italians got the benefit of the doubt. And it was as clear as anything that it was the, the Italians collapsing the scrum. But, yeah, I, it's, that's, I mean, I don't want to come across as saying the All Blacks didn't deserve it. My God, they were fantastic. You know, they, you just got to take your hat off to them. But, you know, there are moments when you look at it and you think, you know, against South Africa, you know, South Africa will give them a much tougher time in defense. They'll give them a much tougher time at the breakdown. Um, I still think New Zealand will win. I think they'll go through and win it all. I, I genuinely do. I think they've got they've got depth on the bench. They've got a, a plan, and and it's starting to come together for them. Um, <clears throat> I think Ireland Ireland were caught cold in the first ten minutes by an Argentinian back three, and I think credit should go to the ten, the twelve, and the thirteen of Argentina. They ran great lines that stopped the island slide in defense, the sliding wall defense. They stopped that allowing two V ones to happen on the outside. And once they'd got over the gain line, the Argentinian support play was magical. And I think there was one great clip of an attack for one of the tries where when the line break was made, there were six Argentinians in support. Six. That's right. The line break. And it was, it was great. And I think Ireland, you know, Ireland losing O'Connell, okay, fair enough. I think Henderson played well, um, but the, the biggest loss was Sexton. Not because he was going to do anything differently in attack with his ball play. It was his kicking game. When things start to go awry with Ireland in attack, Sexton is able to take two or three steps back and put the ball in places that would put real pressure on the Argentinian lineup and, and, and their exit strategies from there. Madigan didn't have that. And I think when, and I think if I'm honest here, I would suspect that Madigan was always going to start. I don't think Sexton was ever fit. I think it was just a ploy, you know, to to kind of distract Argentina. But the Argentinian today were were just, you know, just incredible out wide. Um, they moved the ball so well. The physicality was so good. I think on, there's a great scrummage from a coaching point of view. There's a great scrummage on 56 minutes. It's in and around that point where the Argentinians were pushing against the Irish in the scrum and it went down for some reason. And the Argentinian tighthead got up, looked at the referee and said, you're joking me, aren't you? Why isn't that a penalty? Then he looked at the, the, the touch judge on the, or the assistant referee and did the same thing. Ayurta, the, t- the loose head, stepped in and said to the whole team, right, stop shouting at the ref, calm down, focus on what you're doing. And it was a lovely moment. <laughs> and, I think, and I think that's something that, if you're, if you're a pack leader, that's something to see. Because it was only a brief moment. It's, a, it's only like a 10-second clip. 
But the difference between the loose head living in the emotion of the moment and Ayurta, formerly of Leicester Tigers, but now, now back in Argentina, I believe. Um, but those two, just the differing attitudes of Argentinian rugby from the old to the new and Ayurta's comments and the way he calmed that pack down, you know, that's something to see. And I think that's something that if you, if you have a copy of that game, go back to that scrum and watch that moment. It's a great learning lesson for, for senior players in, and pack leaders in scrummaging. It's a great little moment. Good. You know, people forget about Argentina. And, uh, you know, I had a, I had a little thing uh, on the website. I asked people to um, just predict out of the, um, the quarterfinal teams who they thought was going to win. Um, and that just entered them into a contest. And that was all taken care of. But what was amusing about it for me was that New Zealand won that prediction going away. The number two team voted for was Ireland. And then everybody else got a smattering of votes except Argentina. Argentina got no votes whatsoever. And we do forget about them. Uh, maybe because they're tucked down there in, in some strange corner of the world. Uh, maybe because they don't speak English. Um, you know, as a student of, of rugby history, I can remind people that Argentina was beating major nations back in the 70s. It wasn't if you if you went to Argentina on tour and you came away with a one and one record on on a two two test match tour you're pretty happy with that um and but they've continued would you agree, agree or disagree Eamon? they've continued to slog it out and can, they don't they don't whine about it they just try to get better um and maybe two of the major factors that helped them being in the rugby championship and and that academy system they have less cussworth uh set up yeah, <clears throat> um, two two years ago they had a a mindset change. They 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 had great forwards, um, but they didn't really have. Um, it's very interesting. I think their backline were mostly kick it in the air, chase it, or just smash it up. Like give it to a centre, smash it up. About two years ago, the coach came along, and this is when Graham Henry came over to Argentina, if you recall. And he, he was working as an advisor, and he said, you're never going to go anywhere as a nation if you don't play the, the whole court game. You've, you've got to play the whole court. You can't just play five meters either side of the pack because you're not going to go. Because teams are just too smart. They'll hit you at the breakdown. They'll spread. They'll hit and spread, hit and spread. Later you make a mistake. Then they'll throw it wide and run around you. And if you remember the first three, couple of years they were in the rugby championship, they'd, they'd be competitive in the forwards, but the backs would just right. kill them. They'd kill them. What's happened now is that Daniel Ocade, the, the coach, he's, he's, he's implemented a massive sea change in, in the thinking. He's, him and, and Augustine Pichot, they're the ones that have got this super rugby program together. And, and Pichot, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody similar in the States, but he's basically pulled together this program out of absolutely nothing. Um, he's used Buenos Aires. And the person to ask maybe about this is, is Salty Thompson because yeah. Salty's been down there a couple of times on tour. And the, they've had a, the, the mindset change and it started with the, the younger lads and it's, it's worked its way through to the senior program. And that's been seen in the rugby championship with their victories in South Africa. And their vic- did they beat Australia in South in, I can't remember. They beat, they they beat somebody in, in Argentina this year. Um, so you've got those those two performances and they are whole court performances and and i think their performance today is epitomized by that change in attitude and 
the the, the, the Argentinian coaching staff, the, the Argentinian union, and the whole country of the whole rugby playing country, the whole rugby playing part of the country, deserves significant praise for supporting that mind change. They, if you put it into an American context, it's somebody comes in and says, if I if I just take a brief digression here, Alex. I've heard a lot of comments about American rugby should get a Southern Hemisphere coach in. Now, no Southern Hemisphere coach worth his salt, unless he's get paid lots of money, would come to come to America and work in a system that doesn't have complete buy-in from the bottom to the top and have a way of communicating that person's influence at the top and how we can make that influence felt at every level of the game. I think... Once you have a player development program and a coach development program that can instantly make changes in your domestic game that would allow the head coach of America to put performances in against the Southern Hemisphere team, until such time as that happens, you might as well stick with American coaches because there's some really good ones out there. You know, Scott Lawrence, you've got um, Dan. Dan is the AD now, but when Dan was in charge at life, you've got Jack at Cal. These people are... You know, I mean, I owe Jack Clark a huge amount. Uh, I won't bore you with it here, but he gave me an opportunity to observe the American team many, many years ago, and it changed my coaching. You've had Eddie O'Sullivan there, who, although maligned, did instigate the start with Ron Gatland of the Irish Golden Years. You've had influences. They've developed good coaches. Your collegiate programs are starting to pay fruition now. You have the, the capability, and it's just that's the lesson for here, that maybe you should look to Argentina and go, could we make an influence here by using that model? And and I appreciate you don't have press, you don't have money, and I understand all that. But it's just looking at their model and the way they've brought that domestic players to the level of international standard really quickly by bringing back their overseas players for major tournaments and then raising the level of their domestic players before they take part in that tournament. And I think that's a lesson that could be very well learned here for the American generally. Oh, that's good. It was uh, South Africa in Durban, by the way, August 8th. Uh, Argentina beat they, South Africa in Durban. Oh, and, there you go. And, uh, you know, you uh, you look at the – it's the losses that they <laughs> – I mean, as much as anything else that they learn from um, and and continue to go back. And it's, it's that it, – it's – I think there's also a faith in their system. They, they liked that approach. Um, they bought in, as you said, and then when they don't immediately beat New Zealand, they continue to go at it and continue to take their lumps. And, and what happens is you've got, um, you know, you've got a country that that could win the World Cup. In in my experience of going to the states, and I I mean last just last year, I went to Boston, AIC, Ithaca College, Cornell. Uh, Notre Dame College. I went to those five institutions and I met people there that have not only got rugby ambition, but they also have business brains that you could, we'd struggle to match in this country. There's, uh, I met one person who was a former CFO of a major corporation and he's involved in rugby. And I think you have expertise in people there that that I think could be the envy of the world with regards to their knowledge. You have people like Paul Barford. You have people like Paul Keeler. You have Mike Diamantopoulos. You have 
Bruce. You have people who understand the game, who need to be brought in as advisors. But I, I don't know why they aren't. I, I, I'm not sure why they are. Maybe, maybe they're opinionated. Maybe they're brutal. Maybe change comes by antagonistic means. I don't know. But you've got wonderful female coaches. You know, Lisa, Ro- Lisa Rosen in Colorado. She's a coach educator. You've got Jules McCoy. You know, and you've got, you've got Kathy Flores. You've got wonderful people that can drive that program forward. You've got Pete Steinberg, who has a base in, at Penn State, but he's also a businessman. These people, I think you, you look to the Southern Hemisphere and look to the Northern Hemisphere, and especially Europe, far too quickly. I think you should, as a nation, you have some really wonderful people there. And I, I think if, if somebody could take time and create a structure where we could get these people to buy into it, I don't know. Well, I do know, but I don't want to say in public why yeah. they're not why they're not involved. That's not again. You know, I I can praise these people because I'm outside looking in. You would have to comment as an American as to why they're not involved. But they, their knowledge is vast. Their influence is not being felt on a national stage, and it should be. Um, and I think the Argentinian model is based on everybody buying into it from top to bottom and it and it brings success if you don't if you let personal animosity or history get involved in the process you're in trouble and i think you have you have every right to criticize your national team's performance you absolutely do i do i criticize wales i'm a, but I'm, I'm so proud to be a welshman you can criticize and i know you're all very proud americans and you only want the best for your country but i think there is a disconnect somewhere I, I know what that is, but you can do that. Um, but there's a disconnect. And I think if you look at the Argentinian model and what they did, then you look what went wrong in different countries around the world. There is a wonderful report of the 2007 New Zealand campaign when they lost to France. And it's online. And you to dig it out, it is a lot of it's been redacted, so you can't read it. But it was released by the New Zealand Rugby Union back in 2007, and it's a report done on the state of the game by a legal firm. It is a magnificent document. And, you, and if you want to know wh- how, a, how a report is done, that's the way it should be done. And they kept Graham Henry in place, and okay, we know the end of the story, but that, that's the sort of framework document that needs to be done. All of these stakeholders in the game making a comment, all working together towards a single aim, and you know, and it's been... And it continues to be an absolute honor and a privilege to come to America and meet these people, work with them. And they take my breath away with their commitment to rugby. And I come home here and I look at my colleagues here and I go, if only you had 10% more of the drive the Americans have for their sport, we would be a much better country. And I'm not just saying that. I actually mean that, Alex. And you can ask anyone that knows me over there. I'm, I'm a huge fan of American rugby. Can I can I just say that did that 2011 World Cup end with some really favorable calls going New Zealand's way? Uh, <laughs> One or two. Not not to say that they didn't deserve to win the World Cup based on the body of work, but based on the 80 minutes in the final, that's just not true. And that's why the Jets won the Super Bowl, and 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 rugby needs to remember that because Joe Namath has done more for rugby than a and then a than a Colts team would have done. Anyway, I will say that um, Eamon has, has obviously praised several coaches in America. 
in he came to New York AC when I was coaching in 2010, and we were struggling a little bit with with our contact area work. And all, we had done real, we were doing really well, and we were undefeated. But we there were still just things that we didn't have right. And he came in and gave us something that Johnny Cox had given us in 2008, which we actually used against Johnny Cox in the final, and it was just an approach to the breakdown in attack, because that's all we really worked on, and an approach to the pick-and-drive game. And I think it when we call it pick-and-jam, we kind of jam into the ground, or when you pick-and-drive and, and, and do things, you then then you're a little bit more dynamic. And, and that was probably what won us the national championship against uh, Sam Manoa and, and Keeler and, and Volney Rao. I mean, there were some fantastic players there that played on that team. And, and I think it was in large part due to it was a session. It was freezing cold. You were here. You were teaching in a, in a high school when you brought these poor kids out to Randall's Island and, <laughs> and Lord knows what kind of weather. They, they probably still hate you now. They probably still have frozen bone syndrome. Uh, that probably didn't sound too well. Uh, <laughs> it, good. But, uh, it was it was a uh, was a great day for us. Not not one of those days we didn't go away with a few. You know, every time you have an English coach come in and 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 teach you stuff or Welsh or whatever the hell you want, they you always tend to leave with stitches. There's people who leave with stitches. No, the practice never is one of those practices where everybody just goes home, gets in the car, and it's fine. There's always a trip to the hospital or two to get your stitches in and, and all that kind of stuff. But it was really it was worthwhile. So anyway, that's I remember, that's, I, remember I, just, oh, oh, I think in that around that same time, Bruce, I, I, well, I left you and I went to life and um, which is where I met Dan Payne and Scott Lawrence and those for the first time. And I did a, a session on the breakdown, a one on one breakdown. And there was this one guy who blew me away with his you know, with his energy and his commitment. And I thought, this guy's good. This guy's got something. And I, I, I mentioned to Dan Payne afterwards and I said, you know, who is that guy? He's, he's really good. You know, what's his, his commitment and his, and his wrestling. He seemed to have wrestling background as well. I don't know if that's true or not, but he did. And I thought he did. And Dan said, that's Phil Teal. Hmm. He'll be an eagle. He'll be an eagle one day. And I, and I thought, wow, that's, that's a guy. That's a guy right there. And he has proved to be, you know, proved to be every bit of the man that I thought he was. So same trip, same, same journey from, for, I went from New York to Atlanta. That's nice. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, wrestled in uh, high school, in, uh, Traverse City, Michigan. Um, and, you know, the, w- one of the stories of uh, the, the U.S. team is, you know, trying to find ways for them to play and, uh, and continue to, you know, pursue their rugby, and some of them still have day jobs, things like that. I think I think there are some players who've shown that with an intense level of commitment, you can do that. But we all we always know it's difficult, um, and we've also seen players go overseas, and the the big solution is to go play pro, and they go they're with a pro team, and they don't seem to get much better. So I think I think a lot of it is. As uh, as my old football coach used to say, he'd point to his chest, and he'd point to his head, 
And he'd say, here, here, and then he'd point off to the side and say, and that weight room will make you a great football player. You need all of that, the head and the heart, as well as the the hard work. Correct. That is absolutely correct. And I suppose finally, as I'd mentioned, the the game today, Scotland. We didn't talk about Scotland. Did Scotland get uh, hosed? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, Australia um, won the game, won it in the last minute, uh, or two minutes from the end with it. With a penalty for accident, um, basically Scotland knocked it on, and a Scotland player picked it up. So the referee gave a penalty. Uh, Bernard Foley kicked it over, and a, a minute and a half later, the game's over. The the anger that's ex- being expressed over here is, um, it was knocked on by a Scotland player, but then it was slapped back by an Australian player, which means it should have been a scrum for the knock on. Now, who's to say that? Australia wouldn't have gone on in that last two minutes and won the game. Now, even Craig Joubert, who uh, I'll just leave it at, I don't like him. Um, <laughs> he was, he watched the, the video in the, uh, the stadium, stadium screen. And even the TMO said, Oh, this is going to be a problem. Cause you could hear him in the background saying, Oh no, it was a decision that unfortunately Craig Joubert couldn't go to the TMO with. Because the t- the TM- what the TMO is there for four things. I won't tell you what they are, but you can go and find out yourself. But essentially, he couldn't go. But it's for me, the TMO is there to right wrongs. And in a game of that importance, to have something like that decide a game of rugby breaks my heart. And it broke every Scotland supporter that I know, and an Irish, and and it's it's hard to take because especially when the English are on Facebook going, that's outrageous. And English, and English supporting the Scots, they couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just it, it all. It, it was a fantastic game, and if you haven't seen it, um, you should. Scotland were magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And considering they were the wooden spoon, the bottom of the league in the Six Nations. And they just, they almost beat the Wallabies who beat the All Blacks three months ago. That's how, that's the influence of a World Cup. That's what it can do for you. And, you know, they are, I mean, I know all my, all my Scottish friends are absolutely heartbroken, but very like Wales. I think Australia were the better team. They were the, but I think to have it decided on that one particular moment is, is just not right. Um, I think they may review the rules of the TMO, but like I say, you know, it's it's the Southern Hemisphere skill. You know, they they called for the penalty. They got the penalty. They deserve to have the penalty because the referee couldn't refer it. They kicked it, won the game. Congratulations, Australia. That's the way it goes. Well, I, I think um, you know, tying tying the United States fans, we it's frustrating when there's like a Pacific Nations Cup and there's no TMO, and it doesn't seem that hard to have even if there's you know minimal tv coverage to have a little bit of a tmo but you're right that the 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 replay should be there to make sure that the call is gotten is correct and if referee Jouer looked at the big screen and saw mm, you know what i think that's just a knock on change change the call yeah uh, it, it, think, especially yeah. At, at such a crucial time let's get it right yeah i i, th- I think it's you know, i'm all for you know, I, 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 the first game was a lot of TMO. Apparently, it was twenty-eight percent of stoppages were down to the TMO in the opening game. I think Wayne Barnes, who I think will referee the final, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously history will tell me if I'm wrong or right. But I think Wayne Barnes, in his first game, 
handled the way the TMO perfectly. And I think everybody followed Wayne Barnes and I think he followed it. I think a lot of New Zealanders will have a heart attack if they get to the final and find Wayne Barnes will be there but, <laughs> um, for reasons which, for reasons of history. But I think he, um, actually a great story about Wayne Barnes. Wayne Barnes went to the, went to the cup final, uh, to the, um, the World Cup final between, oh, who got to the final that year when New Zealand got knocked out? Uh, that would be uh, um, uh, England, uh, South Africa. That was South that's Africa. the one. Yeah. Wayne Barnes went to that final and he put a wig on and a moustache, a joke moustache and some joke glasses. And he went across to some New Zealand. He went across to some New Zealand supporters, and he said, "How did? What did you think of the ref in the in your game?" And they ripped into Wayne Barnes, and Wayne Barnes was just standing there laughing his ass off. They didn't realize it was obviously they didn't realize it was him. But um, but no, it's it's. I think if if you're going to make a decision based on a on a TMO, the TMO sort of. <sighs> It's it's about just I suppose rugby is a game that, that that is big on values, and I think we we like justice regardless of the physicality and regardless of yellow cards or sin bins or red cards or whatever or foul play. Ultimately, I think rugby players can take it if there's a sense of justice. When there's a lack of justice in all sports, they feel aggrieved. We have a TMO system that could have righted that, and we didn't use it. Um, I, I I'm not necessarily saying Scotland would have won. I don't know, but I think. It would have given Scotland a chance to go after the Australian scrum again. And I think the, 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 the Scottish had the making of the Australian scrum today. I think that, was an, that would have been an interesting scrum, and it's a shame it never happened. The ball is shaped a little funny, and it does bounce around. And I think sometimes we get really tied up in, in like every little nudge and knock on, but not quite everyone. And sometimes you see a few that you let go. If you look at videos of, of some of the great games from many years ago, you look at the uh, semifinal France-Australia in 1987, probably knock-ons everywhere that they didn't call, but because they were a little bit looser with the idea that the ball goes backwards. Um, that, that ball just bounced around all over the place. I'm not quite sure how you decide to, to bring in what is actually kind of a technical penalty, being offside on a knock-on. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's a pedantic penalty at the best of times. Um, well, yeah, the reason it was brought yeah. in is to stop players, because essentially you're stopping the other team having an advantage. Okay, fair enough. But we, you know, we, yeah. we, don't we see that happen so often? Don't we oh, see sure. in, in other things, oh. you know, somebody's, he's killing the ball because they've got an advantage and, and sometimes they've got a knock, it's just a knock-on advantage. And I'll say, all right, you just committed a penalty, but we'll go back to your knock-on advantage. Like, it was, I had a really I good I had a text message from Sean O'Leary, um, who you know is a mm-hmm. former sure. USC under 17s coach and former Notre Dame college, Notre Dame University coach. And he, or is it the University of Notre Dame? University of Notre Dame, that's correct. I should say that, I should say that correctly. Um, but Sean texted me and said, Who throws to the back of a lineup in the rain? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just typical of Sean. Good Everybody's point. screaming about the knock on, and he's going, Who throws to the back of a lineup in the rain? <laughs> Typical, excellent, typical. excellent. Uh, it, it it was pretty fabulous, and and Scotland ends up being uh, involved in some of the two of the the best games of the World Cup, I think, because that that Samoa game was for entertainment value, right up there. Oh yeah, I mean, I, we, I was in a rugby club watching it, and uh, and again, you you of course being in an English rugby club, everyone's screaming for Samoa to win the game, but it was a brave call by. By, by Laidlaw, the captain, who was mm-hmm. playing scrum half, he, he, he decided we're in front of the posts, we can kick it for, for a draw, but 
if we kick for a draw, that'll give Samoa a chance to come back and, you know, and then the Japanese might go through. So he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go for it. We'll put it all on the line and we'll go for it. And the Scottish props were clued in that if we wheel it a little bit this way and a little bit that way and we get the number eight to do this. And it was, it was a planned move, very well executed. And I think Laidlaw just getting in there, especially it was his reputation on the line. Um, it was a brave shout in the Samoa game and he went for it and got it. You know, we forget sometimes that, you know, as Chris Robshaw knows, you know, you kick to the corner against Wales and you score, you're a hero. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and as it laid law, same deal. He could have called that scrum, lost the game, and then he could, we could see Japan in the quarterfinals. And it was a brave call, but he did it, went for it, went with his gut, and, you know, they, they played today. That's how it works. Uh, Eamon Hogan, I, you know, we're going to have to have you back. Um, oh, sure. That was too much yeah, fun. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about it. And, and I commend your, uh, your headset and your sound system as well because you sound fantastic. <laughs> uh, absolutely I'm, fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm a beautiful, beautiful manager. No. <laughs> That's right. And that voice, that mellifluous voice, um, I'm just all a flutter. Uh, but I think that's going to do it. Uh, uh, who, who do you think is going to go all the way? I think if New Zealand can get the physicality against South Africa, I think it's theirs to lose. Yeah. Perfect. Bruce, what do you think? I'd like to see Argentina win the World Cup. All right. Well, you know, the, the last time we did this, which was several weeks ago, I said it was going to be England. So I'll just keep my mouth shut. Maybe I'll say it's still <laughs> Ireland. Um, you know, at some point, somebody's <laughs> mind probably still will be. Uh, but that's going to do it for this edition of Rugged Matrix America. Uh, don't forget to check out on iTunes. You can check out all the old uh, episodes. You can go to RuggedMatrix.com and see the Rugged Matrix International Show as well as Rugged Matrix America. Check out what I'm working on on Golf Rugby Report. And Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. And thanks for listening. <laughs>